Welcome to the Tier 1 Performance LV Podcast, where we help you find your inner athlete by discussing all things from fitness, health, mindset, optimizing performance, self-discovery, and growth. Good afternoon, welcome people. This is the Mountain Goat Diaries, episode 4. Uh, For everyone who's been following along, apologies about the delay between the last podcast and the one or the episode that I'm recording now. I'll fill you in as to why there was a little bit of a break, uh, well, a little bit longer than what I'd planned. And then on today's episode, it's covering the Creed 100 Ultra Marathon that was completed uh, two weeks ago. So it's just kind of covering, we're going to cover the final stages of the preparation building up to this race, kind of quickly go over again, why uh, was this race even put on the calendar, as in why did I choose it? And then go over a little bit of kit and equipment that I'd used on the day, um, some unexpected, like let's call it issues that will probably always arise in some sort of formality. And it's just coming up with ways to work around that. And then, you know, getting to the start line, the journey of the day, i.e., you know, covering that distance. And then um, we're going to talk just a little bit about, you know, now that I've given myself a little bit of time for it to settle in, you know, how do I really feel about it? What was the whole experience like? And then we've also got a special guest um, to finish up this episode joining me as well, which we'll find out later on. So, Uh, Just to kind of take it back then, um, probably early on this year, I always had it in mind that I was going to, you know, look for another ultra race, having completed the Tushers uh, 100-kilometer race in Utah last year. So it was always going to be, again, what's that next challenge? And one weekend, again, sat down at the computer, and, you know, Leadville was on my list. It's and it's still on my list of one of them, uh, you know, ultras to do. But again, just because of the uh, lottery process, uh, I put in for it and unfortunately, you know, wasn't um, successful. But I'm kind of happy for that because I kept looking and then there was a choice between a race in California and then the race up in Colorado. And what helped me make my choice was me and my wife had just been to uh, Denver, Colorado, not well, not that long ago, and just the mountainous areas and just that place, you know, my heart really took to uh, Colorado. So I just kind of wanted to go back out there and experience it and also kind of, you know, use it as a mini uh, business slash vacation. Um, so that's why Creed stuck out to me because of its location, Southern Colorado. It's known um, as a mountainous race. And pretty much in every category, it was a step up from the Tushers Ultra that I'd completed last year. So the distance, it's, uh, you know, 106.5, I'd just say 107 miles to round it up. The high point is 13,261 feet high, which was on the uh, Continental Divide uh, Trail that we'll cover. The low point was eight thousand like 800 feet so it was going no lower than that at any point in this race but the average elevation which i'll touch on even more but um it was eleven thousand three hundred and fifty nine feet so that's the average elevation that you kind of find yourself at 
And then the total climbing for the day or elevation gain was 20,822 feet. So that's going off the website. That's going off what they tell you. I would probably say we probably covered a little bit more distance and I'd probably go on air on the side of we probably climbed a little bit more as well. But that's just some numbers right there. And the cutoff for this race was 40 hours. So you had 40 hours and there was various other cutoff points, which I'll touch on a little bit more on the experience. Um, so, yeah, so the selection, like I said, one didn't have to qualify, which is a bonus. So you can just literally, like I said, sign up, fill in your details and you're booked onto that race. So that was one of the reasons. The location, again, Colorado, it was up in the mountains. Uh, it's a place where I like to definitely uh, challenge myself and, you know, if I can spend some time in the mountains, you know, even better. So, yeah, that was another reason. And the fact that, again, just from the information that was put on there it was a step up in the cat in the each category from the one that i'd done and it just looked beautiful like again the two words uh, is i use is beautiful and brutal beautiful as in the location in the scenery brutal as in the terrain and the challenge that it's going to offer you on the day so again definitely tick them two boxes so creed it was and then again why why go on to Creed 100 or, you know, for 107 miles? Again, it's a step up in the, each department. So it's a step up of a challenge for myself as, you know, individual. And also for me to pose the question to myself, have, have you got what it takes to complete this challenge? So at one point, again, once I got across the 62 mile point, I'm basically physically stepping into the unknown. So again, it's where I get to, grow, hopefully learn something about myself and come out the other end, you know, physically and mentally stronger and maybe more even aware of myself as in what are my strengths and potentially what are my weaknesses that I might come across on this journey. So yeah, that was the selection process. And again, ultras just tie into the whole um, like lure I have for endurance, like how much can you get from your body and your mind and then again kind of dig even deeper into asking more from your body so ultra running and racing definitely uh kind of fits into that challenge that i'm seeking for myself so yeah that's the reason why i'm uh choosing ultras instead of just running you know like marathons or you know local kind of inner city you know races um again I think what the countrysides and the and mother nature can offer us on the uh, ultra scene is uh, vastly greater than, you know, running around, even if it is, you know, like a beautiful city in the world somewhere, you know, anyone can walk around and visit cities. Not everyone on the world will be blessed to put their own eyes onto some of the scenery, you know, that I've been fortunate to see in just the two races that I've done. And again, you know, I'm sure there's people out there who've done vastly more than me and they've seen even more beautiful places with their own eyes so that's another thing that i love about the ultra running like kind of scene and again earning the right to experience these areas for what they are without just kind of having some sort of cheat code i.e you know pay for a trip 
or you know drive to a certain spot and just hop out your car for a couple of minutes to get these views you know these places you have to get there with your feet from a to b and then you know hopefully get back in one piece so yeah that was the selection process um yeah and then preparation so again as i did with the tushers ultra last year i sat down and i wrote myself out a 16 week program broken down into four blocks of like four basically so the first four weeks started off it was all about just time on the feet so again getting out four to five times a week sometimes i think i upped it to six at some point again just all progressively increasing that workload you know the intensities so again just started off real real easy building that base but the main focus first four weeks not once did I put down a mileage or a pace that I had to get. It was just go out there for a set time, aim to keep a steady pace throughout, you know, so again, don't shoot off like a rocket and end up, you know, dying or chasing, you know, just trying to cover as much distance as you can. You know, just go out there, time on the feet, enjoy it, run strong, run confident, but again, keep a lot of that energy in the bag and just, like I said, get out there and enjoy it. So yeah, first four weeks, that's pretty much what it was. Then into the next block, that's when I switched to mileage and not really pacing, it was more just mileage. So mileage was the goal because I also know that for myself, if I put a time on it, then I can maybe push a little bit too hard and then that kind of has a knock-on effect into my training. So again, the main focus on block two was mileage, time on the feet not worrying too much about how fast i'm going just making sure i cover the mileage and also the thing that i've learned about especially the ultra side of things is the more time you can get on your feet and obviously you know balancing it out where it's beneficial but um, again more time on the feet is better compared to just you know running at a faster clip and trying to you know smash out the miles as fast as you can um, it's better to be out there like i said getting the um repetitiveness of you know the uh, impact that's going through your tendons your joints your bones you know how's your running form how is it to even be out there for you know hours on the end you know running and again once i started to mix up the terrain which i did block free so block free now again wasn't really focused on uh, sorry pacing to a point but I had a rough, I'm starting to build up a rough idea here. So when I'm going on the inclines, you know, certain inclines, I am I can kind of feel it. It's like, okay, I should be under 20 minutes here. Or if I'm just slightly over 20, that's fine. You know, this is a pretty, you know, steep incline. That's cool. Then on the flats, the big goal was any type of basically a, a light jog to a run. And again, picking and choosing when to really kind of go for it. And where I had a couple of test runs or what you, I call them like check runs to see where I'm actually at, where I used uh, Mount Charleston and I did, I did one day, I did a 22 miler and then, and I started that throughout the night. So I got used to operating at night on areas that I'm um, not too familiar with. And then, so again, I could get a better idea of what is my pacing going to be like at nighttime, going through some areas that I've never been before. So that gave me a good uh, sense of what my pacing should be. And then the big one was when I did a 50K. 
So 32 miles, again, up at Mount Charleston. So I'm working at elevation. I'm getting that vert climbing and I'm also just operating, you know, as similar as I can in a mountainous terrain. And just again, from the times that I got there, I remember thinking, okay, if I can move at this pace for obviously like four more times this amount or three more times this amount, then I'm in good stead, you know, for basically how I'm feeling physically and everything. And uh, like I said, up until that point, my training was going really, really well. Um, you know, I was battling, but it kind of made me stronger with the heat out here in Vegas. Again, I was hitting up uh, Mount Charleston and uh, Griffith Peak. I was hitting them like almost basically every weekend to where that almost became like, okay, this is just normal now. This is what, you know, this is what I'm doing as part of the training. And then about four weeks out, uh, I'd had a long week of running. Um, I think it was a buildup of fatigue and maybe just a bit unlucky. But um, as I was like messing around, twist, uh, moving, like kind of juking and messing around, I kind of twisted my right knee and the inside of my right knee, something just kind of felt like it, I don't know, like slipped out and then kind of like a burning sensation. Um, fast forward, going down to the uh, prism physical therapy here in uh, Las Vegas. Um, I got the team there to, you know, obviously have a look at my knee and give me some answers. And then fortunately, um, it was either, well, meniscus and MCL kind of irritation. Uh, no tears. I mean, they did all that, the lax test on my knee and everything was good again, fortunately. Uh, the only downside which really hindered me for the final four weeks before the start, um, before getting to the start line, was I was not able to put any type of like force or like any weight load when it came to even just a light jog through my right knee without it hurting to the point where it was like a sharp pain that would affect the way I'd run. So again, I knew that I don't want to be doing or trying to one push through the pain and then also affect the way that I'm running, which then could, you know, lead into some other issues in other areas. So after I sat down with the team, um, basically came up with a plan to, do open chain exercises, which basically means you're doing exercises where your feet are not connected to the ground. So it's all open chain, zero um, like forces or not as much forces going through the joints and the tendons, which was exactly what I needed to avoid. When it came to the cardio side of things, I just had to get on the bike and then the elliptical and just kind of mix it up through them to keep my cardio going. And then I was doing a lot of the kind of like strength and kind of corrective exercises to try and help my knee out as much as possible because still I was four weeks out and I was always confident that I would get to the start line and I will get around this rest. Not, not, sorry, not at one point, especially, well, especially after I seen the team down at Prism and they said that your knee's good, there's nothing torn or nothing, you know, um, basically, you know, snapped in that knee. Once they, once I got told that, it was just more like, okay, what, what can I take control of? What are the things that I can do to maximize my probability of, you know, getting around this course on the day and without my knee being the main reason as to why, you know, I may not make it around. 
so like i said I, with the plan with prism i you know it probably made me focus on other things even more like stretching um just again recovery rest you know just taking care of my body in a different way so four weeks ideally almost kind of started a taper because i couldn't run and i couldn't do as much intensity on the particular things that i wanted anyway so even like if i was in the gym you know i couldn't do the certain exercises but i just i took charge of everything that i had control over so the things the way i could do cardio i did it even though i didn't enjoy them forms of cardio compared to obviously going outside and running and then all of the exercises using like bfr blood flow restriction cuffs um on the legs to kind of maximize that muscular uh, workload without hindering my chances or like i said aggravating it or just keeping it aggravated as well as you know fortunately to be you know a part of the prism team here in town i was getting in there to see the guys at least twice a week and i think even the first couple of weeks i got some extra just like tlc um where um matt one of the pts uh, did some extra kind of just dry needling all in that area just to reduce the fluid that had built up because that's the key when people get injured or there's any type of irritation whether it's around like a joint there's fluid that builds up around that joint and then what it does basically it makes your muscles seem weaker like because they can't activate and be and basically work to their full capacity because there's fluid in and around that particular area that's you know either irritated or injured so that's exactly what was happening with my quad muscle on my right side it just felt so weak to the point where early on once it like after it initially happened like we're talking like days i couldn't really walk properly like it was visibly noticeable to people that hey you know what's up with your knee man are you good i see you limping and it's just it was hard to explain that i couldn't really put weight into the knee and when i did it either hurt or it just felt so weak that it was almost going to give out uh like i said i think bigger uh, a big shout out to the prism uh, guys and girls down there because i honestly do believe that if it wasn't for like the dry needling and some of the modalities that they have down there and that they was using uh, on me and obviously i've seen them use it on many other people before i do believe that um well, I would have got to the start line because it's just who I am. But I mean, I, I probably would have been on, in for an even rougher ride than um, what transpired on the day. But anyway, yeah, the final four weeks, actually, like I said, it was just more, what can I do that's in control? How can I keep the maintenance of what I've got now? And then how can I protect this knee? Or at least, like I said, try and get it a little bit healthier so it holds up on the day. And um, that was the focus, uh, again, by the time that we set off to head up to Colorado, all of the fluid had gone. I could pretty much run pain-free. There was this, I'd say, just a low level of discomfort, but it wasn't causing me to run differently. So I was happy about that. And then what I did as part of my last-minute kind of preparation, which brings me on to kit and equipment, due to my knee, I was already debating about getting a, like a, like walking poles or runner poles that and um the knee after i did a bit of research and i'd spoke to a few people you know basically poles can reduce like 10 up to like around like 10 to 15 percent 
off of the workload. They can take it away from your legs, i.e. make it easier on your legs. So I was like, okay, do you know what? This is a step up in every type of way. And again, I'm potentially not, I'm going in there. I feel great. Like I genuinely did feel great. The only doubt was my knee. Like, is this knee going to, I don't know, start to hurt me? Is it going to give out? Who knows? Um, again, all I could think was positively, but also how could I put myself again with the best uh, possibility of achieving, um, you know, this this race and this challenge. So poles, they got bought is the long story. And I can definitely say it was a great investment. So if there's anyone listening to this, if you're looking at doing anything that's considerably long and there's a lot of climbing involved, poles are a great way to go, especially on the ups. I could really feel the difference um, from the from the help that they was giving me and how my legs felt way more fresher when I was like powering up some of these inclines. And then obviously that kind of helped into the other stages of the race, which I'll touch on a little bit more. But um, yeah, and then kit and equipment. So basically I've got my runner's vest and I'm going to do a more in-depth um, episode on this, um, just covering kit, equipment and the nutrition that I used on the day but um just to fly over it yeah i had my runner's vest solomon um i've got a water bladder in there and then i have two small flasks on the front then i had a rainproof jacket which is through solomon uh awesome jacket i i want to again i want to do it in depth and give it an even greater um review and tell you the particular style but yeah i've got a solomon jacket rain jacket then i've got solomon long sleeve like full zipper so kind of like my uh warm kit and then on the day, I just had a like Arcteryx, like a t-shirt, like an athletic t-shirt. Um, I had my Lululemon running shorts with the liner. And then Injinji has always been my like go-to socks. So the Injinji um, toe socks, uh, the trail ones. I like the long ones just because it gives your legs a little bit of protection, whether it's, you know, windy or cold out there. And then um, for the shoes, I have the Solomon S Lab um shoes like trail shoes basically the, the the maroon ones with like the lace system but again s lab is just the basically the items that solomon kind of work on and produce for their athletes who are you know going out and doing things like this but you know they're trying to smash records and you know do some other crazy stuff but yeah so the s lab again i don't just buy things because they're more expensive thinking that they're going to be better but um, having used the S Lab on my last Ultra and I had no issues, felt really good in them. And then just from training in them a lot, you know, it's the shoe that I've grown to like um, and it works for me. So, um, yeah, Solomon S Lab, are my go-to shoes. And then one of the top things which I'll touch on is I love with the shoes and the Injinji socks is like you can be wet through from head to toe and then as soon as the rain stops, Give yourself about 20, 30 minutes of just, you know, constantly moving at a nice speed. Feet are bone dry and feel good. So, um, again, that's one thing why I love the Injinji and the Solomon combo because it's very breathable on the feet. And, uh, again, it, like I said, if you find your feet getting wet um, and then you've got an opportunity to get them dry, they'll dry out on the move in about 20 to 30 minutes. Um, so that's one thing I love about that combination too. But um, yeah, uh, then it was drop bags. So 
certain aid stations because I was doing this um, un unaided. I I'm not I wasn't going to have a crew meet me at any of the points, and I wasn't going to have any paces. It was just going to be pretty much all me, you know, between aid stations, you know, doing everything that I need, and then at the aid stations, um, the ones that you was able to drew like drop bags. Again, I had to. Um, prep all that myself so then when i got into the aid stations you know i'd go into my bag and whatever i've put in there you know that's that's what i'd have to help me out on the race and then the last one is just touching on the nutrition so the nutrition that worked for me is again i love to have a bladder initially filled with water so i'm looking at about two liters of water in a bladder and then two 500 milliliter um flasks like on the front so i'm looking at around between two to three liters give or take with that water, I like to do a mixture of half and half like electrolytes. So half half of that load would just be straight water, and then half of it's going to be electrolytes. And my go-to is Tailwind, is the brand that I use for that. Then I had the Honey Stinger Waffles. I was always trying to roll out with at least four of them. So in my head, if I'm trying to cover like anything from like 15 to 25 miles, as long as I've got four of them on me, I'll be good. I had like a trail mix that I'd made up myself. So a mixture of like nuts, chocolates, stuff like M&Ms, um, some like sour little sweets, like kind of candy just to maybe give me that sugar and just to give me a different taste really when I'm out there. Um, then I had some four gels, like the energy gels. And then I had some ibuprofen as a backup. And then I also had some salt tablets just as a backup that you could literally easily digest without much water so you didn't have to worry about mixing them in again just in case things time got a little bit tight and i needed to uh basically get a move on um, i just had some kind of backups and then i also had some waterproof trousers um which again i just took i wasn't too sure how the weather was going to be i was monitoring the weather and literally for two weeks building up at some point during the day and from more hours than not it was wet up there and then on the day of the race again um just must have been very fortunate that the uh the weather gods was uh, looking over me because i had a pretty dry race altogether but um yeah that's that's the kit and equipment just kind of quickly breezed over personally again what was i wearing i also had some uh i had a buff i had some lightweight uh gloves and then head torches i had two head torches obviously one to use and then one as a backup which i actually ended up needing and spare batteries safety blanket whistle and that was pretty much it for what i had on me and even on the day when the water was fully laden uh, my vest felt i mean relatively heavy not too heavy but Again, it definitely looked packed out, but again, um, I'd, I was erring on the side of I'd rather have it and learn that I may not need it and I could get rid of any extras, you know, in, with some of the aid stations at the drop bags. Or again, if I needed it, again, with the, the weather and the elements up in Colorado, like I've got everything that I think I'll need to, you know, at least protect me from the... Uh, from the elements you know while i'm out there last thing you want is to be uh, wet cold tired run down and then not have the right equipment to at least give you some level of uh 
comfort, especially when you're hitting them fatigued um, parts of the race. So yeah, and that was pretty much the selection, the prep, brief overview of my kit and equipment and my nutrition and my drop bags. And then the last four weeks where I was kind of dealing with some knee issues, but we're pretty much there now. We're at the weekend of the race is scheduled. I believe it was the 28th of uh, October. Sorry, my bad. The 28th, sorry, 27th of August. Got that totally wrong there. But um, yeah, 27th of August, it was a Saturday. So at 8 a.m., that was when I was scheduled to uh, tour the line. And then what we did, the early hours of Friday morning, me and the wife jumped in the car from Vegas and then headed up there. It was like a 10, 10 and a bit hour drive. I mean, we stopped off to grab something to eat. So it took us probably like 11 to 12 hours to get up there. So I think we got up there at a decent time, was able to uh, unkit, uh, sorry, unpack all my kit, get my stuff just kind of laid out. All right, you know, that's my race stuff. That's my drop bag gear. That's all the extra stuff I need for my vest. Then it, then we uh, just basically took a ride up to where we was going to be meeting in the morning, just do a little recce, see where, you know, the packet pickup was, the start line, and then uh, just grab some food and check the place out, really. So that was uh, pretty much the build-up and the prep to the race. And now I'm going to cover a little bit more of the start line and then what proceeded from there. Yeah, so we've checked out, you know, where we're going to need to be in the morning. Um, got back after having some food just uh, in the little town of Creed. Uh, like I said, yeah, grabbed some food, uh, had a cheeky beer. And then, yeah, got back uh, at a decent time. Um, pretty much did my last minute checks, like, you know, double checking. Okay, that's all my best equipment. That's all my drop bag. They're all together ready to grab for, you know, in the morning before we drive up. Laid out, you know, my shoes, socks, um, T-shirt, shorts, everything that I'm going to be wearing on the day, my buff. Um, and then from there, just literally, I remember just getting in bed thinking, okay, um, you know, I'm good. Got in bed. Uh, I think we watched the film. And out there, the good thing is, like, you know, when you're up in the mountains and the countryside, it's, uh, you know, when it gets dark, you get, you know, it gets totally dark. There was no noise. It was, you know, really nice as in good kind of environment to get some good sleep. So I managed to knock out. Uh, didn't wake up either during the night. So didn't have no, like, butterflies or, I don't know, like, you know, almost where you're excited, maybe a little bit, you know, worried, apprehensive about what's going to happen. I was just out like a light. Woke up the next day. um Set my alarm, I believe, around 5.45, 6 a.m. Um, got up, breakfast, did last little bits of admin um, for the body. Got myself dressed, got in the car. We got up to Creed and to where the start line packet pickup was around like 7.15. Um, got that, you know, put my... Bib number on, I was bib number five. Got that put on the shorts because it had to be displayed somewhere at all times. Um, set up my poles. Did the last uh, minute, like, toilet. And then by the time you know it, 745 is there. Get out, get ready. D-kit as in, you know, just some of the warm clothing that I had on because it was pretty cold, 8 a.m., you know, you're up high. I think the city or town of Creed sits around just just over, I think, 9,000 feet. Um, so again, you know, you're not that, you know, you're pretty high up. Um, but anyway, 
we had the quick race brief by the race director, the guy who had uh, created uh, this ultra. Cool thing about this ultra too, which I didn't realize until the weekend before the uh, start of the race, I received an email and this was the inaugural race. So when I was going on YouTube and normally there's either someone who's, you know, ran a race before and with a GoPro, you can kind of get an idea of, you know, the terrain and what you where you're going to be going. This race had nothing, but then it all made sense once I got that email and uh, they said it's the inaugural. I was like, okay, that's why you couldn't find any information on this place, especially if you was an out-of-towner like me. Um, but yeah, at the start line, uh, race director gives you know gives us like it's kind of safety speech um tells you like the markers to look out for kind of like these little pink squares um uh illuminous really really good and like some of these marking kits and and all the people too that you know have gone out there in their own time and you know to help you know mark these courses again all i can say is from my two experiences of being uh doing ultras uh, Tushers and the Creed 100 team did a really good job. Uh, not at one point, even, you know, did I feel like I was lost or I didn't have a clue where I was going. Plus, I had the backup of the map on my phone too. So, again, um, you know, man, I only had to really use that when it was kind of trying to get a feel for distances as to, you know, how far is a certain aid station away. But with regards to marking the course, yeah, they did a really, really good job. There was, like I said, there was no way you could... Uh, lose the trail at all it was heavily marked which was great especially for someone who's out of town and i'd never stepped foot onto any of these areas before it was a uh, yeah good comfort to uh, kind of pick up on that quick that it definitely been marked uh, really good but um yeah um got to race brief one that was through it was like yeah you know you've got like five minutes do your last little bits of admin and at 8 a.m we are off um Someone pointed it out just before the official start happened. It was like, oh, where's where is the line? So where we were starting, it was almost in like a little kind of parking lot, but you know, this parking lot was kind of just muddy. And then so the race director just dragged his heel from one side of the uh, entrance to the other of like this car park. And then, you know, from there it was like, okay, there's your start line. Everyone just, I mean, got down to like 10 and it was like 10, 9, big countdown. Everyone's, you know, either team, family, friends are there. You know, for me, my wife was there watching. And then boom, it was like one and go, enjoy everyone. You know, and then boom, as soon as we crossed that line, gave the wife a wave, kind of turned the corner, headed down the road. And for me, it was just game on. Um, the one thing I love about the ultras and what they do for me anyway, specifically is it kind of takes me back to almost being like in the army again, where there's a mission and there's a certain task that just has to be done. And it doesn't matter what the weather's doing. It doesn't matter if like, let's say some essential equipment gets broken. If it's like a time sensitive mission, and it has to be done. It's more how how much of a good problem solver are you and how much of a person are you that is just able to stay focused, keep pushing and doing whatever is necessary to achieve that task or complete that mission. So for me, that's how I just put it mentally into my own head is, okay, I've got 107 miles. This is the 
the terrain that's ahead of me. I have a rough idea of where, you know, what I'm going to be covering, as in the vertical, the climbs, the altitude. I know that there's going to be aid stations at certain points and certain distances. And then, you know, I've got the opportunity to pack anything I want to take with me to help me as an individual. And then after that, through the preparation that you've done, as in physically, you know, what will be, will be, and it'll just be a sign of, did you do enough? Or again, was the day and the occasion maybe, you know, just too big for you, you know, on that on that particular day. So again, as soon as I turned the corner, started heading down the road. And the other thing was, which most people, i.e. like my clients, and, and my wife was one of them to a point was that, People who was worried, I'd say, not doubters, but worriers about the knee. Is the knee going to hold up? All I could do was have positive thoughts, have that confidence that the training that I'd put into up until that point and then the other things that I'd done to make my knee as strong as it could be for the day, that they would all pay off. And I just said to my wife, hey, if you, if you don't hear nothing from me or see me in like 30 minutes, then if I do not complete this race, it won't be because of my knee. It will be because of whatever else. And uh, so that's all I needed to tell my wife. And then back to me jogging down this road, it was kind of cool. It was a nice little jog talking like half a mile. Then you take a sharp right and you're just heading up this, you know, paved road. Um, and again, getting quite high up. But it was kind of nice because... The one thing I like about the ultras is it's a blend of, you know, running, jogging, power walking. And it, um, I think for me, it definitely helped my knee. Whereas compared to if I was probably just running a marathon distance, but trying to go for some serious speed, you know, maybe my knee wouldn't have held up. And then the mixture of terrain too, that the ultras offer, I, you know, running on whether it's grass trails you know where it's a little bit more muddy a little bit more forgiving again anything that was going to reduce that pounding effect and that pressure going through the joints was definitely going to be helping me uh, on the day but um yeah got going um got about a good four six miles in and we're on this you know kind of like a, a dirt track now and it's you know it's pretty wide it's, you know it's what vehicles can drive down it easily but we're running along and again once i got about i think like six to eight miles in my knee was fine. Like there was a few little points where it was almost, I'd call it like warming up. But then um, once it adjusted, um, again, couldn't, my knee felt fine. It wasn't affecting how I was running. So at that point, I was feeling very, very, you know, uh, happy, motivated, and almost like a little bit of a weight had been lifted off. So now it's like, okay, you don't need to worry about your knee no more. Just do what you're going to do. Obviously, there's certain parts where you're going to have to be a little bit more um careful i.e when i'm running across the rocks because again any type of twist or turn could throw this knee out so again i didn't want to risk that but regards to running and being able to do a light jog and all the stuff that i wasn't able to do like four or five weeks prior that um definitely um was a good feeling when i realized i was not going to be compromised and i could um you know basically do all of that stuff so yeah, nice jog, got into the first aid station, moving pretty well. It was like uh, 15 and a half miles in, um, resupplied, got some water, got moving. 
then out to the second aid station that was a nice leg you kind of head up onto the uh continental divide trail uh, at this point now you're pretty high up as and you're still around like 11 11 to twelve thousand feet and it's weird because when you're looking around it's like these vast green plains you know so you don't feel like you're high until you like you know you check your either your phone or you know something that can tell you the altitude that you're at and you're like wow we're you know we're already at, um t- you know sitting over twelve thousand feet here and then you drop down once i got to the third aid station jerosa that was for me where things started to well was going really good i was 30 miles in by this point i'm killing the time feeling good again everything's looking good feeling good energy's good i've been eating plenty i've been hydrating plenty i'm not depleted of anything so i'm just saying to myself hey if you can maintain this pace, it's, this is awesome, man. Just, you know, keep it moving. Again, wasn't too stressed about the time, as in I was ahead of time. But again, I didn't want to be moving too fast. So I was kind of, like I said, happy where I was at. Then when you get into the next air station, Ben, that leg was pretty tough. There was a, quite a bit of climbing involved. That's where you headed over the highest point of the uh, Continental Divide Trail, which sits over 13,000 feet. So again, you know, we're up there, heart rate's working a little bit harder, like the whole body's working a little bit harder on these climbs. But once you kind of hit that point, drop down into the next aid station, which was at Bent. And then at Bent, it's kind of, I call it the circuit. So it's a part, if you look at the map, basically from one aid station, you do a big loop into another aid station, which is the halfway. And then you do the second half of this circle and loop back round into Bent, which was, you know, the fourth aid station and the sixth aid station. So I just call it the circuit. As soon as I got out of Bent at like around mile 42, that's when it um, started to turn dark for me. So I think it was around like 8 or 9 p.m. at night. And then run a nice trail, you know, pretty easy going, um, kind of losing a lot of vert. So like a nice kind of jog down in a way. But um, one thing that did happen was, so again, I'm under head torch now. Again, like I said, you can I can see my head torch is great. But um, there was a few rocks on the trail. And as I'm just jogging, my right foot landed on these rocks and it kind of turned outwards and my knee it almost it felt like it went to the, to the very limit of what it could before it was going to almost like repeat that feeling that i'd experienced about four weeks prior to where you know i'd originally hurt my knee and i was just like right in my head i was like okay you know what at night time especially when you can't see too much of what's ahead of you just anything where there's rocks or unstable ground just power walk it like there's no point like by this point you know i'm 45 miles in i'm moving pretty good uh, i've got a lot of time um in the bag uh, regarding any of the cutoffs that was ahead of me so i'm well ahead of these cutoff times so i just said right there's no point risking your whole entire race by you know taking that wrong step at night and just to maybe run a little bit faster again the the goal is still to just complete this race so try not to jeopardize it again just through the knee so um yeah so even on this on this part i mean it was runnable especially during the day under like you know light maybe if i was super fresh but just like i said you know i had been on my feet for over 12 hours by this point 
it's, you know, I said it's dark, definitely got a whole lot colder. Just, you know, be, be wise when you can run, run. And then when you, when you're not sure, just power walk it out and keep moving at a good speed. And uh, so that's the tactic for the next kind of like 20, 22 miles was what I adopted during this time too, which was kind of like, I don't know if it's like the best time or not, but um, end up going through like six to eight, like rivers and creeks. So by this point, feet was totally wet from like mid chin down, like ice cold water wet, you know, and there was no way of avoiding it. So after the first ones, my feet were wet, which it didn't actually feel that bad. Um, I'm pretty good when my feet are wet. It's not like they start to crumble or anything, um, but it was cold. But like I said, as long as, because I was moving at a decent speed and it wasn't like I was stopping for, you know, considerably a long time at all. Again, just didn't really affect me. It didn't make my life any harder. Um, like I said, it was just that initial shock of when you're in the water splashing around and it's ice cold. That was the only time when it kind of felt, you know, uncomfortable. But um, yeah, got down to the first, well, sorry, the halfway point, which was the Lost Trail aid station. So that sat at like 55 miles and you had to be there before 2 a.m. Sunday morning. Otherwise, they wouldn't allow you to continue. I believe I got there, I think, around midnight. Might, might have been even just before midnight. I think it was around like midnight I got there. Uh, like I said, did a quick bit of admin, uh, probably there for no more than 15 minutes. Um, and then I was going to change my socks, but I just thought there's no point because to get back to the Bent Aid Station, I know I'm going back through some of these you know, rivers and creeks that I've just come down to get to this aid station because it was like a little bit of an out and back for some of it. So, yeah, didn't bother to, you know, changing my socks, um, filled up my waters, grabbed some nutrition, and then, boom, I was back out on the move. Now, this leg uh, was kind of the one where it got a little bit challenging. Again, it's dark, it's cold, feet are wet, um, and there's a lot of uphills and it's kind of like short, sharp uphills, like these, like I said, these country rural roads that you're on or these tracks, these four by four tracks. So it's muddy. Um, again, it's not raining, but it's, it's been raining at parts and I've just been fortunate to miss it. So the ground's a little bit wet. It's a little bit muddy. You know, it's not as good on the footing, but again, I've got my poles, which for me was a lifesaver, be able to dig in, use that upper body a little bit and get a really good, um, you know, movement and shifty on, especially on the uphills. So, um, yeah, just kept going, kept plugging away, counting down the miles until I should be getting to the, back to the bent aid station. And all my head, I just kept saying, once I'm out of here, it's almost like you're on the way home because you're out the circuit and you're starting to head back towards the, you know, where the finish line's going to be, even though, you know, still got quite a lot of miles left on the legs. But um, yeah, powered through to the bent aid station. There was one gnarly climb, which was annoying. So at the bottom of it, imagine it's pitch black, you know, so all you can see is your head torch, maybe a couple of other people who are around you. And then in the distance, I could see the lit up tent. I could kind of almost hear the noise. I'm like, okay, that's the, that's the bent aid station. That's me out the circuit once I get there. And it didn't look that far. But then I got on this like savage climb to the point where it was that steep. You couldn't even really see the top. But then so everything disappeared, like the tent disappeared. So I was like, all right, just power up this. Probably about 10, 15 minutes later, I'm still going on this hill. 
And I'm thinking like, where the hell is the top? Like, why can I not hear nothing now? I can't see no light. Where's where's the aid station? It seems like it's just disappeared off the map. But um, about another 10 minutes of work, got up to the top and it was almost like it was sat in some dead ground. And then boom, voila, I could hear the noise, could smell the food, got into the bent aid station. And for me at mile 63, that was the first time that I took a seat all day. Uh, every aid station, I, I just made it uh, just a rule of mine that I wasn't going to sit down until I really, really needed it. I was going to just kind of keep my legs moving. Um, some of it was, I think it's just I've experienced too, that, you know, when you do stop, especially after doing some hard stuff, it's like almost like your body thinks, oh, we're done. And they start, you know, almost like shutting down, whereas I didn't want that to happen. So that was one of my main reasons for not sitting down at all. But um, yeah, once I got to Bent, though, I'm not going to lie, I was cold. I was a little bit fatigued after the, that gnarly climb. So I remember getting in there, they had a heater. So I sat down, just tried to warm up my hands. They got me some ramen noodles, some soup. Again, just did all, you know, the water and the electrolyte replem, replem some of my uh, personal, you know, food for when I left the aid station. And I think I sat there for about a good, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Like I said, talking to the guys, they was awesome. Um, just chopping it up for a little bit and then it was just kind of like right it's been 10-15 minutes let's you know let's get this show on the road let's get off the circuit let's get a back up to Jarosa and with this leg this was it's going to be 11 miles and it's where you're heading all the way back up over the continental divide trail like the highest point at over 13,000 feet so in my head it was like okay hit the high point, then it's going to get a little bit easy because you're going to start to lose some ground. And then, you know, let's just say you're on, you know, you're getting closer to the finish in a way. And yeah, I just put my head down, powered through. The continental divide high point actually came up on me way faster than what I thought. And then the other thing that was motivating me to move faster on this portion was the fact that I was cold and the sun was rising in the area that I was heading towards. So it's almost like the faster you move, the quicker you're going to be in the sun, the quicker you're going to warm up. And, you know, almost like basically the quicker your day is going to brighten up, really. So, yeah, it was just on my heels, tabbing it out. Um, like I said, getting a little shuffle on when I could, but mainly just kind of power walking, taking it, you know, taking it easy. Um, and then... Um, just getting to that next aid station. That was the goal. Once I got to Jarosa, which was at the, around the 75th, 75 miles in, that was probably the first time when I literally did sit down into the seat and be like, oh, like, I'm, I'm yeah, man, I felt that. Like, I was, I felt that climb. I'm feeling it. Um, looking forward to a cup of coffee, again, getting some hot food inside me. At this point, I did also notice I started to struggle to eat anything that was solid. So they had quesadillas, they had chicken nuggets, they had like tater tots, they had all these really good food that was solid, but I just couldn't eat it. I was trying to, it, it felt like I, I was chewing on a chicken nugget for like five minutes and it was still just all in my mouth, like I had not digested anything. So then that's when I just switched my focus to, all right, I've got my little snacks and goos, which can keep me going. I'm happy with that. I'm hydrating. I'm drinking plenty. What liquid foods have they got? So again, the air stations were great. They had soup, ramen, 
um did like these apple sauce like goo packets so again i was like smashing all of them anything that was liquid that i could just get down with it, especially if it was warm i was just trying to get as much of that inside me as i could and then the odd cup of sprite here and there um every like four to six hours i was popping a couple of brufen uh, again just as precautionary whether it was my knee anything in the body started hurting and also just with the altitude um i know it can help a little bit not that i've ever been affected but again it was all just precautionary stuff that i was doing um just to kind of keep on top of my body maintenance as much as i could but um yeah got out of jerosa at mile 75 you had to go through it was a relatively easy part of the trail as in climbing it was pretty flat but it was so annoying because there's all these rocks it was like these rocks that was like half embedded into the ground and it was half sticking out onto the root. And again, for me at this time, what I started to experience was my shins were killing me. And I think what it was, which I know now, my foot and my leg from being at the altitude is it had expanded. And what I'd done is my shoes were on too tight. Like I had my lace system too tight where it wasn't allowing the circulation to move around from the foot to the ankle because it was just getting cut off there pretty much. Um, not to a point where my feet were going numb, but just because of the size of where they'd expanded to, you know, the shoe now was tight and it was kind of cutting into me a little bit. But um, yes, yeah, so I think that added to the, the pain that I was feeling in my shins. And it was to a point where any type of like, like I said, running and that higher impact, it was just like this little sharp pain. And at that stage, it was more just annoying. It was something I could deal with. It wasn't changing the way I was running, but it was just an annoying pain that I had to pretty much deal with from that point all the way to the finish. I said to put it to the back of my mind and understand that, hey, this is something I'm going to be feeling um, all the way to the finish. But, you know, do I want to get to the finish or am I going to tap out because I'm, I'm experiencing just a little bit of pain? Like I said, I could still run was still moving pretty quickly still had plenty of time to finish before the cutoff so again what was the reason to quit there, there was none um got back to spring creek uh at the 80 mile point now this is the first day station where i'm kind of like okay you know what man still 27 miles to go but you're you've definitely eaten a huge chunk you're 80 miles in I'm well beyond for me into the unknown, as in I've traveled further now than any race I've ever done before in one singular event. And I'm still in the game, feeling good. And at this point, when I got to Spring Creek, this was where I did change my shoes, schoolboyed it. I didn't have spare socks in my drop bag, but by that point, my feet were dry. Yeah, there was caked in mud. So I managed to, like I said, change my shoes, uh, kind of let my feet air dry a little bit, get rid of some of that mud that had built up and the debris from doing the river crossings through the night. And then once I put them fresh shoes on, it was almost like my feet had like a breath of fresh air, like the grip was back within the shoe. You know, they, I felt like I could feel them again. Um, I don't know, it was kind of weird. It just felt good. Uh, that's all I can say. It just, yeah, it was a, felt really good to get some fresh shoes on. And then um, from that point there, mile 80, you got a head back up from the highway because you kind of lose all this ground because you drop down to where the highway is and then from the highway you cross over and you just head back up into onto the continental divide trail so there's a little bit of a well i say a little there's a solid like i'd say 20 25 minute climb 
Then once you get back onto the plains, now you just, again, you're back onto the trail that you've been through before. So you kind of know this area a little bit. Uh, again, you're back at altitude. And I think around this time, it was maybe had to be at least 10, 10, 11 o'clock Sunday morning. And I've not slept. I've just been on the move. And as I'm walking up, I think it was a mixture of a little bit of like the hurt that I was in, the, the build-up, obviously, the fatigue and the lack of sleep. I was taking some steps and it was almost like as I landed, I was wobbling and almost like closing my eyes and losing my balance and then coming back up like with almost every step where I'd take that slight little wobble, I'd come back around and take my next step. So it was as close to sleepwalking as you could without not actually being totally asleep. But I was definitely feeling it. Then there was a, luckily there was a guy called Daniel that me and him had kind of been leapfrogging each other and we'd been working together, you know, or working off of each other, conversation, energy, stuff like that, um, for that probably like the last 20 miles. So once we got up to the top of the plane relatively together, um, we were just talking and I was just like, yeah, man, I feel like I'm falling asleep on my feet here. Um, I don't know if I should maybe stop for five minutes and just have a little, you know, power nap. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't feel totally confident in that though in myself because I didn't, I mean, I knew there was people behind me and I'm sure someone I'd like to think if I did sleep, sleep through my five minutes and not hear my alarm that, you know, someone would wake me and be like, yo, dude, you know, get up. But again, did I want to chance that? So after speaking to Daniel, he was like, hey, I've got a like a 200 milligram caffeine tablet here. If you want to pop that and see how you feel. So I was like, yeah, I was like, I'll try that. So we sat down together for like five minutes, just hydrated, took some time to eat. Um, I popped the uh, caffeine pill. And then once we got back on our feet and cracked on, felt a whole lot better. Like I could feel like, like a, I'd had a bit of an energy boost. And like I said, I was at least able to control my footing and, you know, where I was landing instead of kind of, like I said, landing and feeling like you're falling asleep at the same time. Now we're on the top of the plane, so we're over 12, 12 and a half thousand feet. As we look behind us, we can see this cloud and it is moving towards us. And you can literally see it's a rain cloud. As we took a sharp turn to the right and we're about to start getting off of the plane and start to lose ground, literally we caught like about a minute of like, the, you know, being in the rain cloud. But as soon as we dropped off the edge and dropped down into these bushes and we started to make our way down this uh, kind of like into the open fields, um, it's almost like it stopped. It just stopped right there. So we was out. It was back to like a nice kind of sun, sunshine, you know, warm day. So we got the warm jackets off and then we just got moving. It was a nice downhill. This was the best I'd felt as in on my legs because it was almost like a little bit like a swamp but not too, it was just nice and spongy. So it was definitely wet, like you could, you know, the, your feet squishing, but it was nice. It was almost like a sponge. So for me, I could actually jog and it didn't feel painful at all. So I really, I really enjoyed that kind of segment. And then there was a few little gnarly climbs out of nowhere where you're kind of like, man, where's this climb come from? But then I finally got to aid station number nine, which is around 91, 92 miles in. Now at the at this aid station again, it was starting almost like to compile, like just that pain. The the amount of 
the demand that I was putting on my body, especially like I said, my, my shins and now my knees were starting to hurt, especially my left knee. My left knee was really hurting. And I believe as well, even though it may not have felt like it, I was probably compensating and using my left a little bit more than my right throughout the day. So I reckon that was another reason why my left knee more was hurting. And then, so again, I was dealing with that. But what I did was at each, at each of these aid stations now, I almost, basically I used that last leg. So what had happened prior to getting to that, to where I was sat, like at that aid station, I'd think about all the terrain and the pain. And then I'd think about even back as far as the circuit. So from like mile 41 to being in the pitch dark, to going through them creeks and them rivers, spending 20 miles doing that type of stuff in the dark to then get to, you know, the 91, 92 mile point. Again, I'm not, there's no quit. Um, this was the only leg where I had a little bit of worry too. I was like, man, have I got enough time to finish? Can I finish within this 40 hour cough? That was the only one time. And I think it was a mixture of fatigue, being tired, when I was working out the maths, I just kept, it's almost like every time I'd, I'd check it in my head, do the maths and be like, man, I need to get a move on. Then I'd do it again. Like, oh no, I've got loads of time. And I just kept almost going back and forward with myself until I just asked someone else. I was like, you know, how many miles is it? You know, doom. Okay, cool. All right. We've got X amount of time. So when I broke it down, I think I, I think I worked it out. I had like 40 minutes a mile worst case. So by this point running for me was out of the window. Doesn't matter whether it was flat, downhill, um, running, I could no longer bear the pain and to run. So it was like, okay, power walking. So again, even in my head, I was like, I was power walking at a 22 mile, 22 minute mile split for the best part, especially on the flats. I was able to get like sub twenties. So I was like, okay, as long as I'm not going over 40 minute mile averages from, from now to the finish, I've got plenty of time. So I just kept using that as a bit of motivation and then, yep, just got out there, moved as fast as I could. This leg was probably the worst as in for me, because again, I'm feeling all this pain. I'm not moving too good now. Like I said, my ankles are killing me. Um, my shins are killing me. I feel like I've not got as much support. And like I said, luckily I had the, the, the hiking sticks to help me with that. And then, so we end up basically we head off on this road for a couple of miles then we kind of take a sharp left we head up this track then we kind of head into the like open fields and bushes and we cross a couple of streams there's a few little climbs not nothing too crazy but there's a few little like climbs and then drops and then climbs and then there's this one kind of like it's a long climb so i'm just thinking like where are we going man you can't it's weird, like you think that you're near the end and you're like, you can't see no signs of like society. You can't see, like you can't even, cause again, all this area is new to me. So I'm like, where's Creed? Like, where would it be? Is it over there? And then as I'm getting further and further up this grass field, like kind of like climbing, then at the top, there's a wood line. So you can't see nothing. So as I head into this wood line, I'm again, I'm following these pink ribbons. Now that's the only thing that's guiding me. So it's just, again, where's the next one? Boom, power off to there. All right, where's the next? Okay, who we'll head to that, head, head in that direction. And then out of nowhere, I'm heading through this wood line for like maybe five minutes. And then we just get to this trail and 
it is like the steepest. I'm, I'm telling you, it's the steepest downhill. With the first like 20 feet, it's probably got about five savage switchbacks and it's all rocks. There's rocks just everywhere. There's not one part of the trail where there's not rocks, which for me right now with how my ankles were, is just like it's like hell on earth. I'm every every step I'm I'm in pain. I'm inside. I'm cussing. I'm frustrated. I'm ah, and then but then I'm like you can't stop, man. Like even if you had to stop, no one's getting you from here. Like oh, this is like a serious rescue mission. So he was like, right, let's just keep moving towards the finish. At least it's downhill. Part of the, after the switchbacks, you could kind of see, okay, the trail kind of turns into a bit of a mud trail. It, it's going to get better. So I just, again, just giving myself little positive reinforcements. So again, I'm taking my time, literally looking like an old frail man as I'm making my way down these switchbacks, getting even more frustrated because for some reason in my head, I'm like, how am I going this slow on a downhill? And then, but anyway, power through that. Finally get onto the mud trail. Again, not that much better, but now I'm just in this wood line and I'm heading down. The only good thing is, all right, we're heading down. And then I'm thinking the last aid station is close. Keep checking the map. Well, I say keep, probably every like five, 10 minutes, keep checking the map. And it literally feels like this aid station is never getting closer. And then I come across another runner that had been... Um, that I'd been kind of crisscrossing with early on and we got chatting and uh sorry uh, the runner's name was Stephen and um basically we we got chatting but he he had twisted his ankle so we was both kind of it's almost like we looked like we'd been through the wars I'm kind of, you know, humming and hiring about how is this, why is this road so steep? Why is it so muddy and slippy? This is hell. I'm again, getting kind of internally frustrated because I can't get any type of movement going except every step is. It's almost like I'm just focusing on slowing myself down to then put make myself hurt. But then the slower I go, it's like it doesn't get any better. So it's, it's almost, it's, it's like torture. Every step is just literally torture. Um, but again, finally, we get out this wood line. It must have been about an, at least a good 45 minutes. And we can start to see the open scenery. And then I can see, because it's starting to get dark now, and I can see a couple of trucks, and I can kind of see the aid station, which it was great to see it. But even from getting out the wood line to get into the aid station, it probably took me another half an hour. It seemed close, but it just wasn't. And then this road, it was that thick, sticky, like mud where as every step you took, it's like it grabbed another layer of mud and it just stuck to the bottom of your foot where to, to a point where it became like almost like a six inch wedge at the bottom of your foot, just mud, zero grip. And again, anything for me where the ground was unstable at this moment in time it was hell on earth like everything around like to do with my ankle and the muscles around it was just aching hurting or just telling me dude we're done stop trying to get us to work because we're done but um got down finally just before it got dark it was like the perfect timing um so i managed to get in and then the race director, funnily enough, was there. And I just shook my head and I was like, just literally told her, I was like, mate, I was like, 
like who created that part of the route because I was like that doesn't even seem like it's drivable never mind like walk up it for one and then doing what I just had to do i.e walk down was probably just as bad because of how steep it was and he just started laughing and then throughout the day like so on your course details, I think, like on the website and everything, it'd be like aid stations here and it's the, you know, to the next aid station, it's X amount of miles. But it seemed to be on the day that like you'd ask the guys and the girls who were at the aid station, they'd be like, oh yeah, it's like an extra couple of miles compared to what you thought it was going to be. So by this point, like I said, I'm, I'm, in, I'm within the last four miles. Everything's running a little bit thinner now, you know, as in uh, kind of like my temperament. But, you know, so I just said to the, you know, race director in the nicest way possible. I was like, mate, how far is it to the end? Like, is it legit four miles or is it like the creed, like four miles? And he was like, nah, nah. He goes, it's all tracked. He goes, it's pretty much the way that you came out. Uh, he goes, you'll recognize it at some point. And then he goes, it's four miles and you are at the finish. So by that point, I think I got there at like 8.15 PM. And again, the cutoff was midnight. So I knew that unless something drastically went wrong within that, from there to that four miles, um, again, I'm, I'm finishing it. So that was a, it was a great feeling to have, to not have to worry about the clock, but then there was still four miles to cover. Um, again, luckily it was like a nice paved track. So I could kind of get some good going on. And then the first half of like the, the four miles was a bit pretty much like uphill. And then I, say like the last two miles was annoyingly again all downhill and then even though this it was on the i was on a road but just like going down the hill just the position and the demand that it was asking on like your body to slow yourself down like my front shin muscles and like i said my shin itself and my and my knees now were just going every step was just aching was just that pain was building and building and all i could say to myself was just keep moving like don't even, if you think you need a break, just don't even stop because I don't want my body to seize up within the last like two to three miles and I either have to end up crawling around this. Let me just, let's just keep moving and basically end the suffering like sooner rather than later. So as I start going down the hill, I'm, you know, I keep checking the map on my phone and I'm like, it's just there. It seems like it's just there. And then you get to a certain part of the hill and it's almost like almost at the bottom of the hill out of nowhere, the town of Creed, the lights just appear. And then that's when for me, I finally got that first sense of like that warm, fuzzy feeling of, Oh, like the finish is literally in sight. So you go down the hill, the one that you came up at the first, like the start of like the day before. So now for me, it's like Sunday, it's getting close to like 10 p.m. Take, come down, finally hit that flat, take a sharp left. It's like the slightest incline. And then by this point, I'm like, the finish line is is like right up there. Just, just one more push, keep pushing. And then the cool thing for me was um, I had my wife at the finish line, you know, waiting for me. So as I kept going, kept going, then it was just like, you know, looking out for the car, then, you know, looking out for a few, you know, whatever the noise, a few people. And then um, literally, yeah, spotted my wife, spotted the car, spotted the area, like, oh, that's where I started, you know, 38 hours ago almost. And then just powered through, you know, as people start to see you, 
you know, there's a few cheers. Obviously, my, you know, my wife was cheering, got a little video of the finish, which was cool. Kind of give me that extra energy to get there. And then, um, yeah, just crossed the finish line, literally, I think, bang on 38 hours. So 10 p.m. So started at 8 a.m. Saturday morning, finished at 10 p.m. Sunday. So a fun way to spend the weekend. Um, yeah, crossed the finish line. In a weird way, I felt a mini sense of euphoria. Didn't really have the energy to jump around and cheer too much, but inside it was just like a hell yeah. yeah but you know, with some other words mixed in. But you know, it's done. Uh, the race director gave me well, presented me my belt buckle that I'd earned, the Creed 100 miler belt buckle, which was uh, obviously a big deal. And then now the T-shirt that I'd got, you know, I'd earned the right to, you know, in my books anyway, wear it you know, as I've completed that race. And then I remember just chatting to the race director for probably five minutes, just pretty much just telling him like how hard that course was. And it was the hardest thing I've done and how beautiful uh, the mountains and the country is up in Colorado. And that'll definitely be coming back. And I think by, from the start to the end of the race too, it was kind of cool because I was the, well, the only British person on it who was, you know, via Vegas, I, most of the people who started, there was all, you know, from Colorado. So I kind of already stood out. And then, you know, just from from around the way, like uh, when you get to all these aid stations or you see certain people, you know, you, where, even whether it's a couple of minutes or a five-minute chat, you know, these people remember you, um, you know, when they see you later on in the race. So they're like, hey, it's the, you know, it's the British, it's the Englishman and that. And then, uh, you know, they just chit-chat away and that, give you a bit of morale, food, do what you need to do. But uh yeah, all these people that volunteer, man, um, just want to say a huge shout out to you you guys and anyone else who has volunteered at other races because if it wasn't for the, these people that sacrificed their time to be at these aid stations, you know, you know, people like myself wouldn't even be able to attempt, you know, these um, kind of challenges and, and, you know, accomplish these feats with, you know, without these people supporting us, you know, whether it's people we know or we don't know. So again, yeah, to the volunteers, you know, just like to say um, Creed, um, you know, he did a, an amazing job from marking the course to the aid stations, to the information about the course. It was, uh, you know, really good, especially to say, like I said, I'd never ever stepped foot in any of these areas and had the slightest idea where I was, except for I'm heading into the mountains of Southern Colorado. Um, but yeah, once I finished, like I said, got my belt buckle and I don't know what it is. It's like the body's a smart thing. It's, uh, it's almost like it, it knew that the task was done. And then it's almost like, okay, systems are shutting down. The adrenaline is, we're turning that off. We're done. We've actually probably indebted to, you know, where the adrenaline comes from. And then when I went to take that next step to head to the car to get changed, that's when it just hit me like a freight train. Like my legs got like turned, like I've got lead boots on. Hips started killing. I could only walk like John Wayne. That's the only way I could walk. I couldn't bend my left knee. I couldn't use or lift my right foot from the ankle. So I had to lift it from my hip, i.e. swing my leg around. And then because I couldn't bend my left knee, so I had to almost keep that leg as straight as possible. So I was literally, like I said, just walking like John Wayne. Um, once I took my shoes off and took my socks off, it's like all oh, this pain just started rushing from literally like from the knee down and right to that front part of where your ankle and your foot like connects, just the most severe pain. It was unreal. And then 
got changed. I mean, just like I said, threw some clean clothes on, got in the car, and I was like, let's just get back so I can get a shower and get to bed pretty much. So got got back, and one of the craziest things that's never happened, which I think it's just a sign of how much I'd asked from my body, was once my wife, once we got back, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was cold. And coming from Vegas where I've adapted the heat, let's just say I'm not as not as good in the cold, but not I've never been this bad. But um, when my wife opened up the car door and I was getting out, like, again, I'm moving super slow, so I'm struggling to get out. But as I get out, the cold just hits me. And then I just basically, the biggest uncontrollable shiver that I've ever experienced, like my, my arms are literally you know, quacking like a chicken in that motion. And then my head's shaking. My uh, my cheeks are just, as I'm breathing, I'm kind of, my teeth are just uncontrollably chattering. So I'm like, ooh, ooh. And, but I'm like doing this at like a times 10, like, you know, as in I'm, I'm shivering big time. And then I can't really walk because again, my shins are just, it's like I have no control of my ankle. So from my foot and my sh- to my knee it's almost like my legs like just one piece so if i move too much where i lose my balance i can't catch myself or so my wife had to like hold me and literally guide me into the cabin where we were staying then i finally managed to you know get in the shower but even the shower wasn't i mean it felt nice for a certain point but i couldn't bend down i couldn't move it was just like stand still let the water hit you turn around let the water hit you a little bit and then just get out and get to bed. Uh, once I got out, like I said, you know, warm myself up, got into bed. Um, this was probably like close to, I don't know, like midnight, one o'clock now. And then just because of my body clock, I mean, I was, I was up at six and it wasn't, I wasn't up, up because I was just in pain. I mean, I was just up because unfortunately now, because that's my routine of getting up so early. That was the time I get up no matter what. So I just got out of bed next day, tried to move around. But the first 48 hours post-race for me was the worst. Like I couldn't lift my feet. I couldn't bend my knees without being in pain. And it was just them. And then my big toe on my left, it was pretty much just full of pus and blood. And basically my nail, I think it's dead. It's still not falling off yet. Uh, like almost three weeks later, but it's, it's dead, but at least it doesn't hurt now. So I had, yeah, severe left toe pain, severe right ankle pain, severe left knee pain, but then the right knee and the left ankle were still hurting, but not as bad as its counterpart in a sense. So yeah, I was just going through it, man. Um, but to put that aside, for me personally, this was, again, my greatest accomplishment when it comes to doing anything like this where it's like physical and mentally challenging in a one day or one time event so this is the furthest i've done 107 miles it's in the most mountainous terrain i've been in as in you know to cover that distance you know like i said averaging eleven and a half thousand feet you know elevation a total of you know just shy of twenty one thousand feet of climbing so i said being at altitude all them climbs starting off with a not 100% knee but just getting through it and 
what I would like to say to people is the coolest thing which I love about the ultras, other than like the scenery, the people you meet, it's that it's that sense of accomplishment because going into this, I was always confident in myself. And I, I think it's the way you've got to be. You can't go into anything thinking that you're literally going to fail it more than what you're going to pass it because then what's the point? I think you're already going to be starting off um, with yourself and your internal thoughts is you're going to be set, starting off at a negative. You're going to be, you're just going to be almost like when that tough thing or that tough point happens, you're like, oh, here it is. Cool. And then it might almost seem like it's easier to quit because you've already told yourself, man, this is impossible. Whereas I think if you're like, build yourself up to take on the challenge and yeah as long as you've prepared you know significantly and you've not just taken it for a joke but then you can really step across that line and have that confidence and again backed up with self-belief and you know determination the will you know for me the biggest thing is i've never been a quitter like i've never gone into something and just been like ah yeah, whatever, as soon as this gets hard, I'm checking out because there's something that drives me about, one, taking on the unknown, accomplishing certain things like this to where you can grow mentally and you can learn from it. And then also, I do not want to walk around with that doubt, question, or even that self-shame of you, you quit, man, you gave up or you didn't, put a hundred percent in, in the training, the preparation. And that's the reason why you didn't get round. I didn't want to have to answer to any of that. So no matter what I was, I was, I was in that mindset that I was not giving up and I was going to keep pushing. And again, what I did was from leg to leg, I just used that last leg or like I said, when it did start to get tough from like mile 75 onwards, that's when I used the the feelings and the experience of even just that last leg of whatever, whether it was the 10, 15 miles, five miles. Man, you've just done that. You're not going to give up at this point because you've just had to go through that to get here. Let's let's move on to the next thing. Let's just and I just broke it down from aid station to aid station. But honestly, even though of all the pain that I was going through, not once did it cross my mind that I'm not going to finish this. The only way I would have not finished that race is if for some reason I just, you know, like I said, I was moving so slow that I wasn't going to make the, the finishing time. And because there was a few cutoffs, but like I said, I, I hit all the cutoffs. I was ahead of all the cutoffs. So that was a clear sign for me that you've got what it takes to finish this race. There's no reason, no matter how much pain you're going through, how much suffering you think you're going through, there is no reason as to why you cannot finish this race and again you do not want to be living thinking debating about how you could have done better where you could have you know been better or again just living with that like i said that self shame of knowing that man you you could have passed you could have completed it but you just decided that you didn't have what it takes so i never wanted to live with that regret and like i said fortunately man i got around and like i said it's been almost three weeks now just well technically just over three weeks um, by the time i probably finish recording this and in them three weeks when i've sat and i've fought and i've let it you know like i said i've let it sink in and 
like I said, I can honestly say for me, up until this point, that is the hardest thing I've done. And I'm very proud of it. And again, it's another great life experience, which I believe is going to help set me up onto the next biggest challenge um, that I'm going to be, you know, focusing on in the future. So anyone who's not done anything challenging, anyone who's thinking about doing something that's challenging and you're doubting yourself, go on your computer, go on your phone or go to wherever it is, get yourself booked, give yourself at least 12 to 16 weeks if you want to do some serious training, depending what it is. And again, if it's a physical thing, i.e. like an ultra, you know, again, within reason, depending on your current experience, like training experiences, 12 to 16 weeks should be sufficient to get you in some sort of shape to a point where you can at least physically get around and complete something like this. And then once you've booked it, like I said, for me, it's like that timer starts ticking. It's okay. It's the countdown to the event. So now it's okay. What can I do from now to the start line to prepare and stack the odds in my favor as much as possible? So whether that's working on your nutrition, your diet, you know, hydration, uh, working on your recovery, uh, working on your flexibility, then working on your strength, working on your cardio. There's a lot of things that go into this. That's another reason why I love ultra running. It's not just a case of go out there and run and who's the fastest, who's the most athletic. No, there's a lot more, uh, a lot more things that are come into it, come into play. You know, being tactical, understanding your body, understanding the, the terrain that you're operating in, knowing when to push it, when to not. Like I said, keeping on top of your hydration and nutrition throughout the day, going without sleep, navigating through the dark. Like I said, for this whole entire race, it was on a course that I've never stepped foot on. So for me, it was all new. Um, so again, that kind of makes it exciting too, taking in the terrain at the time, um, which is something I've always been good at personally. And again, it just kind of makes the day like more enjoyable for me. Um, not once, I mean, I didn't take music with me didn't take headphones. It was either conversations with people on the course, conversations at the aid stations, or just being my own thoughts or looking around and taking in the surroundings that I'm, that I was fortunate to be on. And, um, that was it for me. Again, uh, I'm, you know, I feel accomplished. Uh, it's definitely going to set me up and it's given me the confidence to look at some bigger things that I've always been thinking about and, you know, within the next 12 months, I'm hoping to uh, take on some bigger, you know, bigger and, you know, just different challenges. That's what I say. I, w I wouldn't say better. I think all these challenges are unique in their own way. But, um, yeah, looking to take on a different um, type of challenge and uh, maybe push the distance and, you know, see where it takes me. Because, um, like I said, I'm still, still got a few questions that I want to answer for myself personally. But um, yeah, and uh, for everyone who's been listening so far, um, you know, I hope you're still in there. I uh, just wanted to kind of share my experiences of the day and, you know, give you as much detail as I can. Um, so hopefully it's not been too boring. But um, yeah, I have a special guest too, just to put a cap on this uh, kind of final episode of the Mountain Goat Diaries for a while. Um, so yeah, special guest is about to jump in. We're going to welcome her in. And here we have our special guest. It's my wife, everyone. So uh, Alexis, for everyone who's listening, how's it going, babe? Happy to join. 
Yeah, I'm happy to join. Uh, thanks for having me today. Cool. So, um, yeah, just wanted to bring you in to finish off. So we're talking, I'm um, talking about obviously my ultra, you know, the creed. Uh, just kind of wanted to bring you in as a external kind of person who maybe, well, you got to see me through my preparation. You know, uh, I've talked about like the issue that I had with the knee leading up to the, getting to the start line. And then just kind of like maybe you can give a insight into or insight into, you know, like how people's loved ones may feel, you know, when like when I'm out doing what I'm doing, you know, how do you feel, you know, as the person who's kind of just waiting around to hopefully, you know, I get around in one piece and all the uncertainty. So uh, probably the first question I'd ask you is, you know, from your perspective, you know, like what's it like when, you know, when I'm training? Especially, you know, like when I'm in the build up to something and I'm kind of going all in, you know, what's it like to be the wife of someone who's, you know, locked in on what they're doing? Uh, Honestly, I think with us now, it's like if you if you're not training, I think hard, like, you know, I'm going to call you out. Like if I think you're messing around, which like you don't. But, you know, how sometimes I think like with any with any person, like if they're going if they're going 120% or something, I'm not saying 100 because if it was 100, I think, uh, I think a certain, I think we would see more people doing these type of marathons. So I think like with your train, like I could see that you went up and beyond, like, you know, you spent, shoot, you did a, a hike at one point where you was up there all night. And I don't think like, like now I don't get worried anymore because like I know you like, you're, I know you're going to come back. Like, I'm never worried anymore. Never get rid of me. That's what you're saying. Yeah, say it. Now, yeah, and so, um, so then, well, let's fast forward then. So, you know, we're up in Colorado. It's the, you know, I've obviously done all my checks. I'm feeling good. We've had numbers, number of conversations regarding, you know, like my knee. Yeah. You know, like I, I had a little bit like of... well with that, I think like well since you did pick up an injury with your knee, like I I always like it's never a doubt in my mind, oh you're not gonna finish. Like I, I like this this race here, like I knew you was gonna finish. The only thing that concerns like, okay, what time? Like if like are you gonna push it too much in the beginning to where okay, during that middle mark, like when you're when you're starting to hurt, is it gonna like slow you down to where okay, dang, like this injury's really hurting, like I can't even move anymore. I think that was probably my only concern, but I knew you was going to finish as long as you were able to walk. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what I said Well, to everyone earlier is that was my mindset is that, I mean, I've got myself to a point where I knew the knee wasn't going to be an issue. It was, and if it was going to be something else, then it wouldn't, it wasn't going to be the knee. And then, um, you know, I just spoke about how the last, well, the four weeks prior to the start line, how, Again, in a way, kind of having the knee might have been a little bit of a blessing because it made me focus on other areas of my body. So like the recovery, the stretching, you know, I was doing the ice, I was doing, you know, going down to prison like twice a week to get therapy and, you know, work on some other areas of my body. So maybe for me, it kind of balanced out just a little bit. Um, but like I said, you know, it's one of them things I just had to work through. Um, so what does it feel like? I mean... I've kind of explained again, you know, uh, how they did the, you know, the race brief and then at like 8am, you know, they did the little countdown and it was like, boom, you know, go, um, you know, 
I know you took a little video of it, but once you kind of see me head down that road and head out of sight, you know, I know that you wasn't going to be a part of, I've explained, you wasn't, I didn't have no crew, I didn't have no paces. So for you, literally, you're just doing whatever you're doing, but you're waiting for me to finish the rest. So up until me finishing, you're not going to have any physical contact with me. You're not a part of the racing by any means. But what what was that feeling for you, like I said, from the start line, like when I disappeared out of sight and it's kind of like, oh, you know, the race has started, everyone's gone. Like, what, what did you actually do then? During that time, it's like I'm I'm going through a adrenaline rush also because I know how important this is to you. It's like, you know, we we spoke about, okay, what like what is that small percentage? Oh, what if you didn't finish? You know what I mean? Because like if you didn't finish, like I know like that's gonna sit with you. Like it's nothing that's gonna at the end of the day, like when you say we're at home, we chilling. Like you're sitting on the couch and boom, like it just pops in your head. Like, man, I didn't finish. Like we did, you did all this training. We did all this prep. We talked about this. We talked about that and I didn't finish. So it was like, you know, adrenaline rush, but it was also like, you know, that little, that little percentage in my mind, like, okay, if he don't finish, like, man, like, you know, how this, like in a month, like months ahead, like how was, how would this affect him? Yeah. Like, you get what I'm trying to say? And then like, also like, to go back to the last question about like you know was I nervous or anything another thing like <laughs> I'm not gonna lie when they was like oh yeah well it's moose out here I was like oh crap like what like what if you did get attacked by a moose out low inside I, I kind of laughed a bit I'm like this can't be the way Benny go out like all the you know all the stuff you do like a moose took you out like I, you know like it's crazy stuff like crazy stuff in my head they like that you know like we see like all these attacks or something and I said like man you gotta watch out like like, I go into a little panic. But, like, after that, I'm like, okay, since, you know, it's people, you know, going the same course, you know, maybe, you know, that kind of state, you know, out, out of the way. So that was another thing that popped in my head, like the moose and, like, some of the animals. Yeah, that was one thing that I didn't really touch on is being up in the mountains of Colorado. Yeah, there was, well, even on the race packet and in the race brief, uh, I mean, I think they did a good job. I think I remember the race director saying they'd gone out and, that had chainsaws making just a load of noise to kind of scare anyone that was off in that area. But, you know, there was the potential of, uh, I think they said black bear, um, mountain lions, which are always operating a bit more stealthy. So you, again, doing a bit of research, I think I wasn't really scared about them too, because I think it's only if you're unfortunate that you kind of stumble across them compared to them, like, you know, walk, looking out for you as food in yeah. a way. So I wasn't scared about them. And then the only ones, yeah, maybe like the moose, like I said, if they're just eating away the grass and you're trying to run through where they are, again. I mean, especially like you ain't never seen a moose up close either. Like you probably like. Oh, that's what I mean. But yeah. just from what the race director said, I remember him saying, you know, give them a wide berth and if they're on the trail, find another way around because they ain't going to move. But um, yeah, like I said, fortunately, I, I've never seen any, well, I've seen a little bit of wildlife, but nothing like, well, the mooses or anyone that I had to worry about. Um, again, throughout the race, I know we had a kind of like a, a, a slack kind of a guide was whenever I can, I'll try and text you just to let you know kind of roughly where I'm at or how I'm feeling. I think the first text I sent out. I think it's like 55 miles, either 55 nah, or 70. No, it was definitely before that. I think I was at 30. Because it was okay, still yeah, light. Right. Yeah, it was at, one was at 30. And I think I got that message like 7 that morning. So that's 24 hours, 
I think it was around like seven something. No, that one was during like the, the afternoon because I was 30 miles in before it got dark. So that was definitely Saturday afternoon. I so said, that morning probably was people there. Yeah, I remember texting you the first one. I was like 30 miles in, knees great, feeling good. I'm going, I'm going dark again, as in like I'm going to put my phone on um, aeroplane mode. And then I think when I tapped back in, which was maybe early hours of the morning, well, yeah, I think it was like early hours of the morning around the 65 mile point. That's when I think I was texting you again, just to say, hey, I've done whatever, got to the halfway, done the circuit, I'm heading back type of thing, if I remember rightly. But um, so up until, let's just say up until that first text, was the was there any continued thoughts or did you know at that point was you just kind of you know what will be will be i'll wait for the yeah, text i'm just like gonna a, get on with my day like at what? that point like you know me like i'm not with these races like i'm not worried because i know you and i know like you're gonna keep pushing until you literally can't no more so you know like the first like that day i was you know me i got out i was out hiking exploring you know just wait till you know i got the message from you so I, you know me, I'm gonna keep busy. That's good. And then, um, what, well, well, how did you feel when you got the first text? Just, I just felt good, like, cause we, I was like, oh, you, you're moving, you moving, moving, like, I, you know, I felt good. I was like, okay, that's a good pace. It was just like, even with getting that, with getting that message, you know, you was like, you felt good, but then again, in my head, I'm like, maybe like 20, 30 more miles. Okay, is it gonna hit them yet? Like, okay, dang, it's aching. Okay, I need to slow down a little bit because you was moving at a fast pace. And I was a bit, like, concerned. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I was feeling good and I thought I wasn't – I mean, I didn't think I was hitting too hard, but uh, there was another factor was, like, because of the weather. Like, you know, I know it was going to get dark, so I wanted to I wanted to get to a certain part of the race at a certain time. Yeah. So I think that kind of, in a, again, motivated me in a different way to, some, you know, in hindsight – Maybe if I'd have gone a little bit slower in them first stages, I might not have felt as bad in the last stage, which I kind of covered um, before you jumped on. But um, again, you know, it's all part of like the lessons, I guess. So like, so say during the toughest part of your race, what do you, what is something that you think about mentally that kept you, that kept you moving? Like what's the main thing that like, okay, I got to keep moving no matter how, how much my knees ache or how cold it is. What was it? What were um, a few things? Well, so what I've already kind of mentioned earlier, but just to kind of for you is I was saying that I was using like the last stage. So let's just say I was at an aid station, I'm sat down and obviously then I'm thinking about all the pain I'm in and stuff or whatever. What I was doing is I was using, so the big one for me was what I called the circuit. So when it got from the 40 mile point to the 63 mile point, it's like this 22 mile loop where it was like nighttime. So when I had to go through all the rivers and the creeks that yeah. I told you about. So going through all of that and through the cold and like I said, getting like your feet fully submerged in ice cold water numerous times to then going up these gnarly little climbs. Like once I got out of the circuit and then in my head, I was like, right, I'm past the half halfway point in the distance. And also every step technically now I'm going to the finish. So then once I got to that next aid station, I just said to myself, like, right, you didn't you didn't just go through all that pain and suffering at that part to almost say, right, I'm done. I'm yeah. not going on. So always for me at every aid station, it was use what I've just gone through, which then was even better 
for me anyway, it was the motivation that worked because I was like, as I was feeling worse, as in as the pain was increasing, it almost gave me more of a reason to keep going because it was like, man, you've just gone through that, right? You've only got this amount to go. Just get to the next aid station. And then once I got over the worry of time, which I've already spoken about, and I kind of knew that, all right, there's no reason why time-wise I cannot finish this race. Like I've got plenty of time. The only reason now is if I mentally tell myself for whatever reason I can't do it or I'm not going to continue going through the pain. That was that was the only time when basically I just told myself like, yeah, you're not you're not quitting because if you do, like you've already mentioned because you know me, you know, like I, I've already mentioned, you know, I'd, I'd have that regret, you know, I'd be beating myself up thinking about it for every day for probably like the next six months or until I'd probably have to rebook and yeah. schedule it for the next year to kind of answer some questions. I think so like with that, do you know do you think people truly understand like what a person goes through if they don't finish some like and all that work they put in? Like that like can you like that feeling like it's something to you know, like, okay, my feet, you know, your feet can't move, but when you, like, literally, like, mentally, like, this breaks you down to where you're, like, I can't, like, your, your mind, I can't move anymore. Like, what, like, what go, what, what you think goes through a person's head that, like, say, what do you think would went through your head if you didn't finish this race in, the, like, the months after? Um, just like I've already mentioned, it would have been, you know, asking myself a lot of questions as to why, and then instead of, you know, looking for excuses, it would have been basically being honest with myself and saying, okay, could should you have done more running? Could yeah. you have done more running? Was you just unfortunate because of this injury that you kind of got four weeks out? But again, could you have done more? And then just maybe even on the day, like, was this, did I push too hard too soon? Just all, I don't know, I suppose it'd be, I'd, I'd do some sort of reflecting, looking for answers, not looking for excuses. So then... Again, knowing myself, I'd be probably logging on, booking myself in for the next race, and then I'd be looking to take all of them answers and then, you know, basically cha hopefully change change the outcome on the next next time round. But um, but yeah, that that that's like again what I've already kind of mentioned is just who I am. I just know that if I'd have, if I'd have given up. And it was nothing that was physically or because I was just too slow. There was, and it was just myself that was the reason that I took myself off. Yeah, I'd, like I said, I'd be thinking about that every single day. Because I think with this race, I think you also, you trained your mind to get prepared for it. Because, say, so, you know, like, you know, we're, at the end of the day, we're human beings. So when, like, negative thoughts like that creep in our mind, like, okay, oh, this could happen. I could break my foot in this race. Like, I think, I think, like, do you think just putting, like, getting that out of your head and thinking of some pause, like, okay, I can, I can make my knees stronger by doing this. So this doesn't happen. Do that. Does, did that go through your mind when you were training for this? Yeah. I mean, um, like I call it like stacking the, stacking the cards in your favor. So I always believe that if you can, to a certain point, replicate or at least challenge yourself in a way that, is going to be very similar to what you what you're taking on. Then, like I said, you're going to answer some questions. So, you know, like going up to Mount Charleston, all the times I did, I know that I'm comfortable at altitude. I'm comfortable at climbing, at, and I know my rough speeds that I should be hitting. Um, distance. I mean, other than obviously running 107, which I've never done up until at that point, I know that 
I can do up to 62 and I'm confident that I can do more if I really had to. So that wasn't too much of a concern. And then the last one was, you know, like, yeah, there's a little bit of, I think, luck, as in you could be lucky or unlucky. So, you know, is the possibilities that you can twist your ankle? Yeah. But uh, what's the, the way around it is, you know, make sure you've got good enough shoes, good enough socks, um, and you've got out and practiced because I've noticed, especially this time round, which I don't know if it was just because of the way I trained, but when I trained last year for my tushes, I twisted my ankle so many times compared to, I don't even think I twisted my ankle once on all the trail runs that I did this time. So maybe again, I'm just better at running or again, I was just lucky. Like also, I think like me as being a bystander on, you know, most of your races, I think like also that something that helped me to ease my mind because you was out there, you know, you're out there for more than a day was like I've actually joined you when you do some of these long runs, like not like, you know, obviously running with you, but okay, I go for walks or I hang out for, you know, a few hours. And then like, I kind of know your pacing. I know this, I know at this altitude, how many, you know, how far you can run, you know, or how long, like, you know, you're pacing. I think that helps too. Like if a person decides to, you know, support or crew or, you know, to help, the, you know, the runner or what I think that helps also like knowing the person's pacing, you know, how they react, like the, you know, the temp, could the temperature drop, you know, stuff like that. You know, yes. it's kind of getting. Yes, it almost kind of puts your mind at ease. Yeah. Is, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, um, I suppose that's the key with it. It's even like the key for myself too. Like the more, the more that I train and prepare, the more it's going to put, you know, my mind at ease too. Because then I'm, like I said, I'm stepping to that start line with a lot of confidence and self belief, and there's minimal doubt. Like that's the one thing that I never allowed to creep in is doubt. Is never doubting myself, and it's not again not being big headed. It's just knowing that. The preparation and the time you've put in, you can honestly say, yep, yeah, I've put enough in to what I believe. And then, again, just be willing to give 100% of yourself in every way, whether it's mental or physical, when you're out. And like I, I can honestly say the last 30 miles, my legs were done. As in, they was probably at a point where there's like, we've never experienced this before. This, we're we're working overtime, whatever, however you want to describe it. My legs was done. I was in so much pain, but internally, I just kept taking that next step. Like I said, get to the next aid station. You haven't done all of this up until this point to give up at this point. So keep going. You're closer to the finish. All these little things. And to be honest, again, I'm not trying to dramatize it. And I don't have to, and I'm to try and make this more exciting, but I didn't really have to talk to myself that much. Yeah. It was just literally when I go into an air station, it was thinking about like fill up my water, good. I've eaten, try and eat as much as you can. Give yourself five or ten minutes. Look at the time. Try not to go over fifty. I think twenty minutes was my cutoff, which was at the ninth air station. I think I took twenty minutes. Uh, every other one, it was like fifteen minutes. So again, just looking at like what time do I get? All right, I've got fifteen minutes from now. Do all my admin. Just, just all these things are really going on to the point where. For me, I didn't get much time just to sit there and be like, dwell on even quitting, even yeah. thinking about quitting. And then, like all I said, be like, right, you've just done that. Right, okay, you've got this part. Try and work out what the next thing is. Put a picture in my head. And then just literally get up out of the seat, get on. People at the air station, it was amazing. They'll give you a little cheer. That gives you a little energy boost as you head out. 
And again, it's like, for me again, personally, I'm not, I'm not returning to that air station and everyone's asking you, Oh, what happened? Are you good? And you're having to almost repeat. The... Yeah. And, and it's kind of what I said to you, if you remember, and, and it, I kind of got to do it in a good way is like with my clients, when I'm back at work, like I've been back at work the last week or so, you know, and everyone's asking me again, I get to, in a word, you know, relive the glory, you know, yeah. bask, bask in the wind for a little bit with everyone. But whereas I didn't want to re-drag up that, whatever, that sorrow, that regret, that, you know, just that bad memory of, oh, yeah, this was the reason why, and it was because of this. And, like, I just, again, that maybe that didn't, it wasn't on top of my head at that moment in time, but I know it was definitely there internally that, yeah, you do not want that. So, again, just another Yeah, they're going to be living it real, like, over and over again. Because people, oh, what, what Like, that's going to be like, oh, when you say, oh, I didn't finish. What, what happened? Like, this was yeah, the first yeah. thing. Yeah, and then, and then, like I said, the, to probably, like, put an end to this for me, and uh, I'll let you have the last say for you as kind of watching it from, like I said, the outside. But, you know, again, for me, uh, this these these things here are just to put put an answer, put an answer to a question that I've, asked myself like again mm, can can you do that and, and then like i said you've got to have a little party that says you, yeah i think you can do it but then you you know you have to go prove it you can't just be like tell everyone oh yeah yeah i could do all this stuff but you never go do it so again um, yeah you've got to obviously put yourself to the test and uh, come through the other end so again like i said yeah i don't do this stuff to boast about it to you know kind of add any type of thing to my ego it's just literally for a personal um, achievement and then obviously you know for me and my wife you know she comes along on the journeys too so she gets to you know kind of experience it and uh, you know one of the biggest things I'd say and I stress to people is there's a number of people involved that support you so whether it's you know for me it's my wife you know, helping me when I'm doing my long runs, being there like at certain points with water or food and even just my day to day, like, you know, she takes care of like the meal prep, which I'm fortunate to have. But um, also, like I mentioned, you know, people who was at the aid stations, all them people that sacrifice their weekend. So someone like me can go and do this crazy ultra, you know, them people like, you know, thank you to them. The people who went out and marked up the course, the person who created the course, you know, there's a lot of thinking and preparation that goes in. So again, um, you know, for someone who's always, let's say, the reciprocant of these people, you know, I'd like to say, you know, thank you to everyone. And if you're one of these people who's listened, you know, I'm sure, and you've been a volunteer at some point, or you're a husband or wife of someone who does this type of stuff, I know that, um, you know, they'll be appreciative of you too. So, uh, you know, kind of give yourself a pat on the back. But yeah, I don't know if you've got any final points just to kind of finish off, you know, kind of someone in your position who might be supporting someone like me. Any tips? Uh, just be as helpful as possible. Like, you know, as long keep st the stress like at a minimum, you know, just go in a relaxed mind. And it's nothing like seeing a, anyone finish a race like that. Like, I I mean, you understand how I felt like about you finish. I mean, you know that like we spoke and all this, but it's it's just an unreal feeling. Like you seeing you cross that line, it's like that's me. Cause like we're me and you, like we're a repre representation of each other. Like we want to see, we always want to, we always we're always rooting each other on. Is what I'm trying to say. Like we're we are each other's biggest supporter, and I think wow. and that goes a long way. Like if I like you know if I if I feel you slacking me like you know I'm gonna tell you about it, like straight mm -hmm. up. 
like same way you're going to do me. And then also like seeing that, like, you know, it motivates me to like, look where I'm at now. Like my whole lifestyle has changed. Like I, who would have thought like me, I would have been enjoying hiking and stuff like that. I'm not saying I enjoy, but I, I, I do enjoy it when, go, you know, going to my pace. Cause you know, you like to take off you all about time, you know, I'm more chill, but it, you don't know how much you've helped somebody just doing it or somebody seeing it, like how much that inspires a person. Like seeing you do these type of things has inspired me and like other people. Like you, you see it day to day. Yeah. Like what I'm about. Yeah, I mean that's the cool thing. Um, like I said about these type of things, and I think the other thing too is to kind of finish off is that the outdoor running, especially the running community, I believe heavily, and I've been saying this a lot, is they're like it's almost like the nicest and the most positive people you so, ever, I've ever met in my life. Yeah, you can come across some absolute strangers, and like I said, we met, you know, well, obviously I got talking to a few people on the on the trail, and it was like the day after when we seen uh, Stephen and his girlfriend, and they kind of pulled over and was like, "Hey, oh Betty," you know, and it's like yeah. we're catching up, and then we, you know, we met up with them later on that night and just kind of talked, you know, about the experience and got to know, you know, got to know like some new people in a way. So yeah, I just I like to say too, like you know, the running community. Um, it's definitely running, trail, hiking, whatever, anything that's, like I said, more away from the city and outdoorsy. I just think you generally get nicer, happier, more positive people. And when you're out there, just kind of like what my wife's saying, like even like myself, you know, I'll give energy out to someone by, you know, just saying, hey, good job, keep going. Or, hey, nice work. Or, you know, like, hey, good morning. You know, I think seeing other people out there getting after it, it's either going to motivate you to do more or you could be the person who's motivating others because they're looking at you going, man, they look at them killing it. Man, I, like I, I, if they can do it, I can do it. So like I said, I think the more that we're all out there, the more that we're all getting after it and the more that we can kind of acknowledge each other. And even like I said, if it's just a quick high and buy or good job or keep going, you know, you might not know how much. Them- Especially a nice smile. Like what I always tell you, like when we go to a restaurant, you never know what this what a, a waiter has experienced that day, but it goes a long way. You just saying, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Like how much that goes for a person. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, that's, um, well, to put a wrap on that, that's been a, a long one. Um, not that I was trying to rush it, but um, yeah, just like to say, you know, apologies about the, the delay. Um, the delay happened because of the, well, the injury. So I was having to just put all my focus and time on that. And again, I just didn't, feel the benefit of just kind of jumping on to update people about you know an injury i thought i could obviously talk more about it at this stage when i've uh, you know well got round which i did and then um yeah um, that's going to kind of put a break to the uh, mountain goat diaries until pretty much the next one gets uh, signed up for committed to and then we'll start talking and focus more on that and then like i said just give people who might have been like myself two years ago, an absolute novice in the ultra running world to, you know, like listening and getting motivated and thinking, you know what, this guy's done it. Cool. Doesn't sound too much different to me. I can go do it. So that's what this is all about. Just kind of sharing them experiences and um, yeah, feel free to, um, you know, follow us. Obviously I'm on IG, um, tier one performance LV, um, hit us up there. Um, obviously through my personal benefit, um, Five one. That's on my IG. Um, again, if there's anyone who's out there who's interested in getting some advice, uh, feel free to reach out to me. 
um, go to the website and then my email and details is on there if you want to connect with me. And then again, if there's anyone who may be interested in um, some plans like running plans, training plans, um, maybe interested in working remotely, again, you know, feel free to hit me up. I do all that type of stuff. And I just like to thank everyone for listening. Again, hit that follow button, uh, maybe share this with a few people you think might be interested so you can get the listens up. And then I'm going to get back to releasing a podcast at least once every two weeks. And we start focusing more now on the old performance, um, daily routines, habits, anything that you can do, actions, simple things that can enhance your performance and day-to-day living to uh, basically, you know, make yourself more efficient and effective is the key. So again, appreciate you all. Uh, Benny with T1 Performance checking out and my wife, Alexis.